This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks uh, very much for tuning into the UBS Global Research Pod Hub. This is a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. Uh, my name is Jeff Robinson. I run Fundamental Analytics here at UBS. And in this episode, we are going to be taking a, a good high-level look at balance sheets and how they attempt to reflect intangible asset value. And I'm joined today by Jairus Nolan, who is from our Quants team in New York. And I'm going to fire a whole bunch of questions at Jairus about these intangible and it's based on some recent work that she has been doing. It's a really complicated area of analysis because of, I suppose, the problems created by the accounting. And the issue with the accounting is that there's really just a mismatch between the treatment of intangibles that are acquired by companies through M&A activity relative to those that are generated internally by a company that may grow more organically. And what you have is a playing field that really just isn't very level from an analytical perspective. And this has led to some investors questioning whether the current definition of book value which only includes external acquired or externally acquired intangibles can really measure the value of the company. So I guess we can kick off with that first question, Jarish. Um, what is at the heart of this debate around about these different types of intangibles? So that question is over to you and ready to kick off. Thank you very much for having me here today, Jeff. Um, and thank you for that great intro. So when looking at whether a company is cheap or expensive, many investors turn to various valuation ratios. One of the most well-known valuation metrics is the price to book factor. Stocks that are expensive generally trade at higher multiples relative to book value, while cheap stocks are believed to be mispriced and trade at lower multiples. The book to price factor, which is long cheap stocks and short expensive stocks, has been viewed as the representative value factor for several decades. But as we've seen value underperform growth since 2010, many investors are questioning whether value is dead. Arnott and Harvey argued that value was not dead, but in fact that the traditional definition of value was perhaps incomplete as it leaves out the importance of a company's organic growth, which in turn could lead it to be misvalued. To their point, externally acquired intangibles are viewed as an asset on the balance sheet, whereas a company that invests in organic growth ends up expensing their internally developed intangibles on the income statement. Some argue that this unduly penalizes a company that is choosing to invest in itself organically versus those that are going out and buying up other companies and growing their balance sheets through acquisition. Now, I, I do love as I say, the angle that you've come at this from a quant perspective, because I know with the, the fundamental analytics work that we do, our angle is, you know, the accounting is kind of out of date. You know, it, it's not really evolved with how companies' business models have changed over the last, let's say, 30 or 40 years. You know, what we, you know, back in the olden days when I was a lad, you know, people would go out and build factories and those factories would generate return. Whereas now, you know, people are building infrastructure, AI, software frameworks 
all of those intangibles are huge amounts of investment that these companies are making and their investments for the future. But the accounting just hasn't changed over 30 or 40 years. All of that stuff generally, as you've said, just gets written off. So, you know, you're looking at it from a, I suppose, a factor perspective, the multiple perspective. I guess we are looking at it from my team's perspective, much more from doing the analysis. And it's interesting, it's causing us both real problems to do this analysis, um, it causes me problems in terms of trying to identify value creation because I want to look at returns in relation to cost of capital and then essentially capitalize that value creation. And um, I don't get a reliable measure out. So it, it, it's interesting in terms from a quant perspective what that actually does from your, your you know, in terms of your idea. So let, let's take an opportunity to um, dig a little bit deeper here. On the one hand, we've got um, externally acquired intangibles that are considered to be assets on balance sheets. Um, can you give us some examples of what they are and, and how they are actually valued? Certainly. Um, so externally acquired intangibles, uh, can, can appear on the um, balance sheet as separate line items. Two common items are goodwill and other intangible assets. The other intangible assets cover things like software, patents, copyrights. So they're not necessarily tangible, but they are identifiable. So, and they're able to get an identifiable value. But goodwill is calculated as the amount over the fair value of the asset of a company. So um, a lot of other um, knowledge that a company brings in is, is included within goodwill. The premium that a company pays to acquire a target is viewed as an asset to the company under both IFRS and US GAAP accounting. It isn't amortized, but subject to an annual impairment review. I do want to point out that both goodwill and these other intangible assets that are generated by the target company is through its investment into organic growth, but it doesn't get valued until that company is actually acquired. So from a quant perspective, only companies that are investing into M&A, do we see that portion of intangible assets come into play on book value when we're looking at it from a value perspective. We don't see it for organic growth. And it can massively change the landscape as well because, you know, you, you, know, you have a company going into an acquisition scenario, snap the transaction happens, and then you get the crystallization of all of this intangible value that only became identifiable at the point of that transaction. It can really change the numbers literally from one day to another. Now, I guess on the, on the flip side, we've got um, internally developed intangibles that um, – Really, those expenses go straight down to the income statement. So it's the same question would be, um, what are they? And, you know, what are the challenges in terms of trying to capitalize those items? Because I think, you know, people could argue that some of these costs really should be capitalized onto the balance sheet, but the accounting doesn't do it. Yes, that's correct. So the current accounting rules generally under both IFRS and, and um, U.S. GAAP, there, there are some exceptions here, but generally they do stipulate that internally developed intangibles that are generated through spend on research and development and selling and in general administrative costs are to be expensed in the year that they're incurred. So this particular facet of a company, its in, internal investment into branding, patents, human capital, efficiency, and all, are not considered when looking at a metric like price to book. 
one argument against capitalizing intangibles is that it's difficult to determine how much of current R&D or SG&A can be attributed to future growth or how it may benefit the company. An example of this is suppose a healthcare company invests into the research of a drug. It is unknown if that drug will be effective, whether it will get government approval for use, and how much economic or brand benefit a company will receive from it down the line. That future benefit is unknown. So how can one value it today is the argument. On the flip side, those in favor of capitalizing these intangibles counter that it doesn't make sense that these intangibles only find value when subject to M&A, but otherwise are ignored on the balance sheet. It creates a mismatch between companies that decide to grow via M&A versus those that choose to grow through organic investment. I think you've got a couple of really important points there because I'm not sure whether I should feel ashamed to admit this in a podcast that people, that millions of people are going to uh, listen to. But um, you know, I qualified as an accountant when I was uh, when I was a very, well, actually not a very young boy, but when uh, in, in my younger years, and the accountant in me listens to what you said and kind of agrees with the idea you should write off R&D expenditure because there's no guarantee, again, as you've said, that there is a definite flow of economic benefits that will be generated as a result of that spend today. It may or may not happen. And accountants don't really want to kind of deal with possible generation of future cash flows. They want something that's a bit more probable. And so that's why they write off this R&D expenditure. But as an analyst, um, the, the flip side of me really thinks about this R&D spend as being reinvestment back into the business. And without that reinvestment, you've really got no kind of future expectation of cash flows being generated. So it's that kind of tussle between should we think about it as an asset that we're trying to create when we spend on R&D, or are we thinking about it as being an investment in the future? And I think from an invest, you know, when we're looking at this from the sell side, I think it's better that we are thinking about this as a investment to create future cash flows. And I think we get a little bit more clarity if we, we certainly do that. So, so let's just move the conversation on a little bit. If someone wanted to include internally developed intangibles in this book value metric that you've got and really kind of level that playing field between what are required intangibles and internally generated intangibles, so to speak, how would you go about trying to achieve that? So, Josh, that's, that's a tricky question to, to pass over to you in that respect. Uh, so, it's, it's, de it's definitely not easy to do, um, and, and there are some challenges to it. Um, but I did come across one method that was proposed by Peters and Taylor in, in one of their papers. And what they did was they took 30% um, of SGNA and 100% of R&D, and each were amortized at a rate of 80% and 85% respectively. Now, this is something that we, the UBS quant team, have looked at as a broad definition, and we believe it's a good starting point for a proof of concept. This method does assume an infinite amortization period and uses these fixed rates across all countries and sectors, when in truth, this can vary from region to region and sector to sector. The academics that have used these calculations in their papers have pointed out that this is an area that can be further explored and customized. By 
using this amortization method, we're able to capitalize these internally developed intangibles and add them to current book value and you know, divide by market cap and, and get a new intangible book to price metric. And as you said, this is something that we as analysts can look at in valuing a company, whereas that traditional book to price metric ignores these internally developed intangibles and does not necessarily give a clear picture of how to value a company. And I think that's, you know, a, a useful exercise to go through because obviously these things, these rates and these percentages are going to vary between industries. You know, utilities will be very different to pharma, which will be def very different to, say, software development. But what it gives you, I guess, is a lens to look into that analysis. And it's not like we have to look through one single lens and make our decisions or build our investment thesis. But anything I think that you are doing to try and create a broader lens that captures that intangible value is going to give you a bit more clarity into the insights that you are you're trying to pull from that analysis. So just to kind of round things off, I mean, taking all of this into consideration, all that work that you've done recently, what would you say are the kind of main takeaways for the investors? I think that the challenge that many investors have faced um, in this market is that traditional definition of value, book to price, has not delivered in helping to identify cheap stocks that outperform and expensive stocks that underperform. The argument against using traditional book to price is that it may be ignoring the growing importance of organic company growth. We've seen that companies are decreasing their spend on hard assets that are generally clumped under property plant and equipment and increasing spend on intangibles such as R&D and SG&A. To ignore this aspect when valuing a company may lead to misvaluation. By taking internally developed intangibles into consideration, an investor may see some investment opportunities that they may have otherwise missed. Excellent stuff. So we'll draw that to an end. Um, I'd like to thank our listeners for, for visiting the UBS Research Hub. Um, that was an introduction and overview of balance sheet intangible assets, specifically thinking about this uh, lack of a level playing field between externally generated intangibles and those that are developed more internally. Um, my name is Jeff Robinson. I run Fundamental Analytics here at UBS, and I was joined uh, by Jarish Nolan from our Quants team up in New York. Um, again, tune in and uh, you'll see some more investment insights coming to this pod channel in the future. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content. It has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regulatory, or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons.
This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2021. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS, all rights reserved.